Hello, friends. Welcome back to the Proverbs 31 Ministries podcast, where we share biblical truth for any girl in any season. We're always so glad to have you join us. My name is Meredith Brock, and I'm here with my friend and co-host Kaylee Olson. Well, hey, Meredith, it's great to be back with you today. I have the wonderful privilege of telling everyone about our podcast topic today. It's a teaching from our very own president, Lisa Turkhurst. And I'm sure you guys, when you saw the title, Your Mind, Your Mouth, and Your Master, you were like, ooh, should I listen? Mm. Is this going to talk about my speech and keeping my mouth shut, Mm. aka, will this step on my toe? And well, you know, I can tell you mine for sure got stomped on in the best kind of way when I heard this message at She Speaks in 2019. But y'all, this is straight up gold. And I'm really, really grateful that we get to share it with you because I think if you're like me, this is one you'll go back to time and time again. Well, and you said an important word there. She speaks. She speaks. What in the world is that? I don't know. It's our annual (laughs) our annual conference here at Proverbs thirty one that we gather together here in Charlotte, Mm -hmm. North Carolina, with like eight hundred plus women. Lots of women. It's awesome. And this message was taken directly from Mm -hmm. that conference in two thousand and nineteen. We streamed it live on all the devices in all of the places and heard just tons of great feedback. So we wanted to make sure that our podcast community got Mm -hmm. to listen to it too. Yes. So here we go. Lisa, take it away. Tonight's message is called Your Mind, Your Mouth, and Your Master. And when I study scripture, I love when I'm dealing with a topic to go back to the very first time that it's mentioned in scripture. So when I challenged myself to do that, I went back all the way to Genesis chapter four, the first time that I see a brother very angry with a brother. So this is what Genesis chapter four, starting in verse one says, Adam made love to his wife Eve and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later, she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel kept flocks and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, Sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Now, Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. While they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. I don't know how I missed this because... I've known the story of Cain and Abel, but when I went to study 
this first instance of anger, and in theological study, it's called the law of first mentions. When I go and look at the first mention of a brother being angry at a brother, I knew the story of Cain and Abel, and I knew how it ended that Cain, in fact, got so angry that he killed Abel. But here is what I missed. I missed that in between Cain getting angry and Cain killing his brother, that the Lord came and had a talk with Cain. That the Lord himself came and said to Cain, why are you angry? This angry word here is, why are you kindling this frustration or heating up your worries? Why are you doing that? Why are you letting it consume inside of you so much so that it will eventually consume you? Why are you angry and why is your face downcast? And when I went and looked up downcast, it's a Hebrew phrase that indicates anxiety and depression. So the Lord is saying, why are you heating up all of your worries and frustrations? And why are you so filled with anxiety and depression? And suddenly it wasn't so much a story about Cain and Abel. It was God speaking to me. If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. And from my best estimation, as I then spent over a hundred hours in deep theological study, from my best estimation, how we must rule over the sin that is crouching at our door is with our mouth and with our mind by remembering the strength of our master working in us and through us. You must rule over the sin of your mind, your mouth, and with the strength of your master because what your mind is focused on and what your mouth speaks reveals who you are mastered by. And as I did this study, I became blown away at a pattern that I see woven throughout scripture. I see it here in the story of Cain and Abel. I see three distinct components. I see that Cain refused to humble himself and that he allowed this anger to stay inside of him. And I also see not only a lack of humility, but I also see that he was not willing to let forgiveness spill from his lips. He was not willing to rule over the thoughts in his mind and the words of his mouth. Therefore, the sin that was crouching at his door seems to have deeply ruled over him. And so as I'm reading this, I, I go back to Ephesians chapter four and I see this very same thing, your mind, your mouth, and your master. 
In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Don't miss this. It doesn't say according to my needs. It says according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ God forgave you. We see this pattern in Genesis chapter 4. We see this pattern in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 26 through 27. You can also find it in 1 Peter 5, 6 through 9, where we are reminded to humble ourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him standing firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. I see it again in James chapter four, verses seven through 11. Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Humble yourself before the Lord and he will lift you up. Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. I see it also in second Corinthians chapter two, verses five through 11. I have forgiven in the sight of Christ for your sake in order that Satan might not outwit us for we are not unaware of his schemes. And as I discovered this pattern woven all throughout scripture, I became aware that I must get intentional when I go to bed every night. And isn't God gracious that he allows this teaching to be tied to something we all, at least if you're on this part of the world, get to see every night. And as the sun is going down, I pray that we remember it's time for God to clean me out. I do not want to go to bed on my anger. Interestingly enough, Paul, as he's writing this to the church at Ephesus, is actually quoting Psalm 4-4 here. When it says, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are angry. So let me read this to you because I was kind of astonished to find it in Psalm 4. And I'm going to read it as it says in the first translation of the Hebrew Bible that was translated into Greek, that's called the Septuagint, this is what it says. In your anger, do not sin. If you have the NIV, it says tremble and do not sin. But in your anger, do not sin. When you are on your beds, search your hearts and be silent. So then... Again, remember, we're sitting at my kitchen table, and so this is how I fall into deep theological holes, is because then I find this is connected to this, is connected to this, and now I'm back into the Psalms, and it's connected to this. So then my next question that I will surely ask Joel, the theological director of research at Proverbs 31 Ministries, Joel, 
What exactly are we supposed to do on our beds? Because I have tried this. I have laid on my bed and I have searched my heart and I have found all kinds of anger. And then it just says, and be silent. And as God is my witness, I have tried this. (laughs) And I cannot help. It's like, I, I, I mean, short of sewing my lips up together, it is so hard because I don't process in a silent way. And I'm trying to get rid of my anger. And so I don't know what to do with myself as I'm laying on my bed. And so that's when I go and ask Joel, you have got to take me to another place in scripture that will help me process some of this or else I'm going to pull out and start making more lists on my phone of why I should not be the one to write this book on forgiveness. Thank goodness he knew where to go. Psalm 36. Listen to this. I find this so fascinating. Remember, we're talking about Sin is crouching at your door. We need to make sure to rule over it with our mouth and our mind, right? So listen to what Psalm 36 says. Verse one, I have a message from God in my heart concerning the sinfulness of the wicked. There is no fear of God before their eyes. In their own eyes, they flatter themselves too much to detect or hate their sin. The words of their mouths are wicked and deceitful. They fail to act wisely or do good. Even on their beds, they plot evil. They commit themselves to a sinful course and do not reject what is wrong. So I'm like, Joel, I don't really like the way this verse is stepping all up in my business and I still don't know what to do. I know it's wrong what I'm doing. I already told you I know it's wrong. When I lay on my bed and plot evil, it's not really that I'm plotting evil. I just want to teach them a lesson. That's what I want to do, right? Come on, somebody. Don't clap for that. But I'm just saying. (laughs) Because sometimes people need to be taught lessons. They just do. Because surely if I don't teach them this lesson, they're going to continue to go out and hurt other people in the same way. It is my duty (laughs) to get them back. It just is. Thank goodness that the Bible is where we're supposed to turn and not our own justifications. And I guess as I kept reading, I started to recognize it's not mine to avenge. Because if I do, it's called revenge. But the Lord has promised that it is his to avenge because only the Lord can see the full story. So now that's not what we're supposed to do as we lay on our beds. This is what we're supposed to do. Starting in verse five of Psalm 36, your love, Lord, reaches to the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the skies. Your righteousness is like the highest mountains. Your justice, thank you, Lord, for justice. Your justice is like the great deep. 
You, Lord, preserve both people and animals. How priceless is your unfailing love, O God. People take refuge. Lord, let me take refuge and not revenge. People take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your house. You give them drink from your river of delights, for with you is the fountain of life, and in your light we see light. Continue your love to those who know you, your righteousness to the upright in heart. And so we were sitting around my kitchen table and Joel was pointing this out. And the next day, I got a text from one of the sweet young girls who's in her 20s, who obviously is doing this better than me. And she texted me, her name is Shay, and she said, Lisa, I went back and read Psalm 36, and I think it tells us what we're supposed to do on our beds when we are silent. She said, I started at verse five, and I started circling what I think we're supposed to think about. God's love, God's faithfulness, God's righteousness, God's justice, God's abundance, God's delight, God's life, fountain of life, God's light. And when we think on these things, God will take our anxiety and turn it into peace. And then we will be upright in heart rather than downcast in face. So I've been trying this and I'm still not able to do it perfectly, but I'm doing it so much better than when I started. It is making me more patient during the day Because I know that night, if I'm not patient during the day, I'm going to have to have God deal with me that night. And I do not want the regrets of today, the the reactions of today to become my regrets tonight. That I'm going to have to deal with all the stuff. And so it not only helps me clean my heart out as the sun is going down and I'm laying on my bed. Not only is it working there, but it is affecting me during the day. And I'm having less anxiety and less feelings of depression. I'm, I'm not stirring up that anger inside of me like I was, kindling it and letting it consume me. God's word is so powerfully effective. But I want to show you something else in Ephesians chapter 4. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander. As I think about not only do I need to make sure that I'm letting God clean out my mind and my heart. And by the way, in Hebrew, 
the mind and the heart are one and the same. It's the seat of the will and the seat of the emotions. But when it says guard your heart, it's also saying guard your mind, right? And so I'm dealing with that, cleaning out my mind and my heart. But now I need to also address my mouth. Because paired with all of these verses about staying humble with my mind and making sure to rule over the sin that is surely crouching at my door, I also must attend to my mouth. And as I started doing this and seeing this pattern all through scripture that these three things are kept together, I started recognizing how important it is that we don't feel so justified in our anger. Because when we feel justified in our anger, we want other people to support that justification. So in an effort to, quote, process some things, we go and we share our heart. But most of the time, it's not really to process things. Most of the time, it's to rally support for the justifications so we don't have to feel so bad about the anger that is stuck down in our heart. I'm not saying you do this. But I'm saying we girls who live in North Carolina sometimes struggle with this. I must attend to not only what is in my mind and stored up in my heart, but what is coming out of my mouth. Let me take you to another place in scripture. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 15 through 16. It's in a section of scripture in my Bible, or actually in the ESV, titled, A Worker Approved by God. So what the NIV said, I scratched it out, and I wrote what the ESV said. So there you go. Okay. Starting in verse 15, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. Avoid godless chatter. Because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. Skip down to verse 22. Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. Along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments. Because you know that they produce quarrels and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. As I was studying this, I really wanted to know when it says to avoid foolish and stupid arguments, I just, I had to dig around in that just a little bit. And do you know what? I learned, and this is just from Bible Hub. So I just pulled this verse up, and in Bible Hub, I just pulled up like the foolish and stupid arguments. And one of the words that was used in describing what this really meant, according to the 
original language is an untrained argument. And I was fascinated by that because you see, my nephew, Austin, he just finished going through the training, the 13-week training to become a United States Marine. And I went to the ceremony where it, it was just beautiful, where he actually, now you are a Marine. And it was beautiful and it was moving. And I was so fascinated by, I knew the young man that went into the training. But I went 13 weeks later and I hardly recognized this amazing soldier that stood before me, so disciplined and so trained. So I called him on the phone after we got home from the ceremony and I asked him if I could interview him just about exactly what happened to help make him so trained. And he said, well, Aunt Lisa, the training is 13 weeks. The vast majority of that time, they break you down all the way. So then the very last part of the training they can build you back up and show you how to live like a Marine. And as I thought about that, it reminded me of this, a worker approved by God. And sometimes what frustrates me and hurts me is when someone comes at me and I feel like it's so unfair or when someone I love goes silent and stops calling back. Or when a friend I thought would be forever just walks away. Or when we get a letter at the ministry and I feel so misunderstood. But as I thought about what Austin shared with me, I don't wanna be a Marine but I do want to be a worker approved by God. And maybe all of those things that have hurt me and offended me and broken me down have actually gotten me to the very best place where God can now build me back up as a Christian needs to be built back up. Maybe it's become perfect training ground for me to understand what powerful tools we have in our mind and our mouth as it relates to revealing to the world who is our master. So I want to show you one more thing. Go back to Genesis chapter 4. And this completely blew me away. When I went to Genesis 4 and I looked again at exactly what God said to Cain, and again, I did a little research on exactly what it meant. I'm gonna read the Lord's words and then I'm gonna tell you something. Why are you so angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule 
over it. And as I poked around to understand better exactly what the Lord was saying, when I got to verse 7 of Genesis 4, if you do what is right, and I looked it up in Hebrew, it's translated as this, to make a thing good or right or beautiful. Forgiveness is a complicated grace that uncomplicates my anger and helps me see beautiful again. I want to close by reading you one more part of my book. Part of what stirs my anger and makes forgiveness seem so unfair is that I'm utterly convinced I'm the saint, they are the sinner, when in reality, Jesus is constantly just asking me to simply be the servant. A rush to judgment is running away from scripture. Eugene Peterson paraphrases Matthew 5, 41 like this, and if someone takes unfair advantage of you, use the occasion to practice the servant life. Love your enemies and let them bring out the best in you, not the worst. You see, on earth, we usually only get to see people operating in flesh And in flesh, no one is surprised when kindness is repaid with kindness. And certainly, no one is surprised when anger is repaid with anger. We see it every day. Transactional relationships where kindness and generosity flow back and forth, feel fair and good and what you have come to expect. But when mismatched affections return meanness for your kindness... Silence for your attempts to reach out. Coldness for your warmth and judgment for your grace. It's only understandable that we feel injured, hurt, wronged, or brokenhearted by the choices of another. Even with Christians, even in churches, even with friends who used to pray together, and even in families that have Bibles in every room of their house, and even with me. One of the most powerful things that I have ever witnessed is the work that God has done to restore my marriage. But even more than that, it is what I've watched God do in the heart of my husband. And one of the tangible ways that I have seen this transformative work in him is that he lives out everything I've taught you tonight so much better than me. And do you know how he does it? When someone stirs his frustration, he very rarely gets angry. But when someone stirs his frustration, it's usually me. (laughs) He has this rule now 
for himself that reveals so beautifully who his master is. He refuses to box it out with me. He will go in his room, in our room, and he shuts the door. And I can hear him talking to God about me. (laughs) And he boxes it out with the Lord. This is how he fights his battles. He takes it all to the Lord. And one day we were sitting around my kitchen table studying. And one of my friends asked me, Lisa, I want to do this, but how long do I stay in there boxing it out with the Lord? And I said, this is where it gets very complicated. When you read the end part of Ephesians 4, it says, be kind and compassionate. I've watched him. How long does he box it out with the Lord? Until it is all worked out and he is ready to come out of that room and be kind and compassionate to me. How long do we need to lay in our beds and let the Lord work all this stuff out? How long do we need to lay in our beds and remind ourselves of God's faithfulness and God's justice and and, and God's abundance? How long do we do it until we can authentically say, I am ready, that person that hurt me. I am ready to have compassion on them. Because the only way they could have hurt me the way that they hurt me is if they themselves have suffered immense hurt. And I may not be able to have compassion on them, but I can surely have compassion on the hurt that they must have suffered. And then after I find my way to compassion for the hurt that they have surely suffered, can I then be kind to them and forgive them as Christ has forgiven me? When hurt is so deeply personal, it's hard for my reactions to stay biblical. But I can tell you something I've seen with my own eyes and it is more astonishing than what I can possibly express through these pixelated letters on a printed page. When someone by the power of the spirit of God overrides the resistance of the flesh and chooses forgiveness, it is shocking. It's one of the rarest moments in the life of everyone looking on. It's when you get to see with your physical eyes evidence of the spirit of God as tangible as if you could touch it. It's a moment no one forgets. When we live in this world so saturated with flesh, resenting flesh, hearts, hating hearts, fists, slamming fists, pride, rising against pride, and then suddenly seeing someone bow low to open the glorious realities of the spirit of God and whisper, I forgive, these two words stop all. 
in the split second of that utterance, evil is arrested. Heaven touches earth. And the richest evidence of the truth of the gospel reverberates not just that day, but for generations to come. Forgiveness is what brings the flesh of a human in perfect alignment with the spirit. And none who sees this walk away unaffected. What if this is what it truly means to carry the good news of the gospel into all the world? What if this is what Jesus meant by deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me? What if this is why the very last words of Jesus left echoing throughout all of eternity that he whispered perfect divinity but absolute humanity. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Matthew 5, 8 says, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. The spirit of God working in you is for many the only presence of God they will ever see. And most will not care to meet your Jesus until they meet the reality of Jesus in your life. Your mind, your mouth, it's all possible because we serve such a great Master, indeed, forgiveness, it is such a complicated grace that uncomplicates my anger and helps me see beautiful again. God bless you. Wow, Mayor, this is such a good teaching. And I love at the very end, Lisa talks about her nephew, Austin, being broken down in Marine training. And that was such a sweet moment to get to witness Mm. her just kind of retelling that story for the Mm. transformation she saw in his life. And I think it just applies to us as believers being formed into workers approved by God. And maybe right now you're in a season of brokenness and you're listening to this. And so save this podcast and listen to it again. That's why we do what we do. Absolutely. And you know, one of the things... I love about Lisa's messages is that she uses what the Lord is currently teaching Mm -hmm. her, um, how he might be breaking her down and making her new to invite us in through her speaking and her writing. And maybe you're listening to this and God's stirring something in your heart because you know that you have a message Mm -hmm. um, that the world needs to hear too. So I'd like to use this opportunity to let you know about the She Mm -hmm. Speaks conference that we talked about at the beginning of this podcast. Lisa's message is was one of the five amazing keynote sessions that we shared on the main stage there. But we also have tons of workshops. Mm -hmm. Um, And in 2019, we trained over 700 women in yeah. person. And then we more than doubled the conference yeah. by offering our first ever live stream. It's huge. We want to, at Proverbs 31, equip women 
to bring biblical truth into their spheres Mm -hmm. of influence. Yes, absolutely. But the good news is that even though it's not 2019 anymore, it's 2020, you can still access this keynote along with other messages on demand by, of course, Lisa Turkhurst, also Jamie Ivey, Bianca Oltoff, Crystal Evans-Hurst, and many more. Also, I just want to say kudos to myself for getting through all of those names. Those are some tricky names. Tricky names. The first time. Okay. (laughs) All you need to do is visit shespeaksconference.com and click the live stream button at the top to purchase your pass today. You can view our keynotes and eight pre-selected breakout sessions as many times as you'd like through April 30th, 2020. Wow. Don't miss out on that, guys. And one more thing before we sign off today, be sure you're following Lisa Turkhurst on Instagram to stay up to date with what God Mm -hmm. is teaching her because she really is sharing um, what God has been downloading into her on a daily basis on that channel. So go check her out at Lisa Turkhurst. And thank you, friends, so much for joining us once again here.